goodness. Uh, let's take our Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, going back there. Took our uh, last three weeks here in Matthew uh, chapter 2. Not the plan at the beginning, but was how uh, the Lord led and a uh, little bit of um, crowd participation in that. One of last week's lesson was a special request uh, last week, so I was able to honor uh, that. But looking today at kind of what we've been uh, gearing up towards through the last couple lessons, we'll talk today about the wise men. Uh, they've been involved in the last two, two lessons because uh, they're involved in this part of the story. Um, but today we're going to looking at the claim of the wise men that Jesus is king. Jesus is king, and we see that in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and read those as we begin this morning. The Bible says in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the wonderful gift of your son that we take time. Uh, during this time of year to remember uh, that he was sent to earth, Lord, to die on a cross to pay for our sins, uh, Lord, to go back to heaven uh, victorious and then one day come to earth again to set up his kingdom and reign forever. I pray you'd be with us as we study your word this morning, looking at the idea of the fact that Jesus is king and the men who brought that message uh, to Jerusalem so long ago. pray bless this time in your word this morning. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we have uh, looking at the Christmas story, and this is kind of the, the theme of this series of lessons, is looking at the different characters involved. And I listed on the bookmark that's available in the back, if you haven't gotten one or if you don't have yours uh, from last year, there are a couple more left, the 12 Claims of Christmas, and uh, kind of a play off of the popular song. Uh, but we have different people and what they had to say about the Lord. But even though we have 12 listed here, I was thinking about it yesterday, there's really a lot of other people that, that were involved as well. And you look at all the different people and how they were impacted, how they were affected, how they responded to the news of Christ's birth. Of course, there was the young Jewish couple uh, that became his parents. There were the elderly relatives that were parents of his cousin John. There was the distant king who required a census and a taxation that required this family to travel to Bethlehem. There was a businessman uh, that didn't have any more room uh, in his inn. There, was a, uh, there were the angels that announced his birth. There were the shepherds that came to see him. There were the people that marveled at the news shared by the shepherd. There were two elderly people who were waiting at the temple for his arrival. There were the chief priests that knew about the prophecies of his birth. There was a king who wanted to have him killed. There were wise men that wanted to come and worship him. All of these had their own way that they either accepted or rejected the news of, of Christ's birth, the different way that they responded to it, different ways that they heard the news. Some heard it from angels, some heard it from the wise men, some heard it from the word of God, some heard it from the shepherds. And, the, and these folks heard the news in different ways. Uh, the gospel was shared in lots of different ways to lots of different people, and everybody had their own personal response uh, to that, their, their own motives, their actions, and it showed how much faith they had in the news that Jesus had been born. 
They all had something to say about Jesus, and it's interesting to consider their stories. But the more I study the Christmas story, and it's kind of a habit I've made over the last 15 or so years to take a lot of time at Christmas to really delve into the Christmas story and, and explore some, some new truths or, or ideas there that maybe I hadn't noticed before or been a while since I had considered. And I really enjoy looking at the Christmas story, but the more I do, the more I'm amazed at this group of men that are called here the wise men. They only take up a couple verses here in the book of Matthew, some right here at the beginning and then a little bit more uh, later on in the chapter, and they're gone. They just show up and then they leave, and they're not part of the story anymore, but they had a profound impact on the Christmas story, the story of Christ's early years and the news that they brought to Jerusalem. And as I look at them and looking at them compared to everybody else, and we'll do this for a minute in the lesson, they had more faith than perhaps any other person in the account with what they had to work with and how they responded to the news that they had. It's an amazing demonstration of faith comparable uh, to some of the greats of faith in the Bible. And we will look at that as part of the lesson um, today. And they were probably among the least likely of candidates to exhibit such faith. So today we're going to be concluding this series for this year by looking at the claim of the wise men and the claim that he is king. So first of all, as we look at this uh, series, the same outline that we've had before, we're going to look at the messengers. Who were these men? Who were the wise men? Where did they come from? What what were they here for? How were they responding to the news? So first of all, who were they? We'll look first of all at the men. Who were these men? The wise men would have been part of a group commonly known as the Magi. Uh, the Magi is, is the word that, that is translated here as wise men, and it is the word that we get our English word magician, uh, not for the sleight of hand tricks that, that we are familiar with today, um, but they were learned men. They, they were, they were um, wise men, as it says in the passage. They were, uh, had positions of prominence in different kingdoms and, and um, and governments, we see them mostly in the Bible, in the book of Daniel. That's where we have the best uh, introduction to the wise men. Why don't we go there and look at a couple verses in Daniel to understand this group. Now, the wise men in Daniel's day uh, lived a long time before the wise men of Jesus' day, but it was, it was the same type of group, the same type of people. Ezekiel, Daniel, in the Old Testament there. Daniel chapter 2, we see that the wise men were a group of men who were counselors to the king. And this group as a whole encompassed many different uh, skills or or specialities uh, that they had when it came to advising the king. Daniel chapter 2, verse number 2, the Bible says, Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. And they came and stood before the king. Now, we know these are all wise men, this whole group that's described here, because if you look down in verse number 13, the decree went forth, the decree went forth that all the wise men should be slain. So this group listed off here in Daniel chapter 2, verse number 2, you have the magicians, you have the astrologers, you have the sorcerers, you have the Chaldeans. These are different categories or specialities of these men who were advisors to the king. And if you remember the story from Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and it disturbed him and he couldn't remember what it was. So he called his counselors together and said, all right, here's the deal. I need you to tell me what this dream means. And this is something that they were used to doing. These men, one of their their jobs or responsibilities was to interpret 
interpret dreams. We see Joseph used in this capacity with Pharaoh uh, in Egypt to come and, and interpret what the dream meant. But the king had a special request for this group. He said, well, I can't tell you what the dream is because I forgot. Um, but what I need you to do is I need you to tell me what the dream was and, and then tell, you, tell me what it means as well. And the wise men respond by, nobody, nobody can do that. Um, only the gods could do something like that. No, no man's ever done it. Nobody's asked us to do something like that before. That was not in the job description. I don't know if these men had unionized yet, um, but they did not. that was not in their job description is to tell the king what he had dreamed and then, then what the dream meant as well. And the king said, well, if you can't do that, what good are you to me? I'm just going to have all of the wise men killed. So that's this group coming in to advise the king. They were considered to be magicians, astrologers, and uh, sorcerers. Now, they did not have these abilities at their command. Perhaps some of them, and very likely some of them, had uh, satanic power to do some sort of miraculous ability. Many of them probably were just very skilled in sciences and could do things that looked miraculous uh, based on the, on the scientific understanding that they had. But we know they didn't have it at their command because when the king asked them, they said, we can't do that. If they had it at their command to do magic, they could have come up with something to, to demonstrate to the king. But they said, well, that's not something that we can do. That's not an ability that we have. So they did not have a magical ability at their disposal, a, a sorcery that they could conjure something to happen. But that's just the way they were described in this passage. Perhaps some were having these abilities, um, but demonically inspired, but they didn't have it um, at their command. They didn't think that they could do this. We see these wise men were really a, a specialized group of educated men. And we understand that because Daniel and his friends were part of this group. If you look at verse number 13, there it says, The decree went forth that all the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. So Daniel wasn't called in before the king with the other wise men, but when they said, let's kill all the wise men, they went to go get Daniel and his friends. So Daniel's part of the wise men. How did Daniel get into this group? We find that in Daniel chapter 1. Go back a chapter and you see the specialized training that Daniel received in chapter 1, verse number uh, 4. This is where the king tells uh, the master of the eunuchs to bring certain of the children of Israel of the king's seed of the princes to bring them in, verse number four, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, such as had the ability to stand in the king's palace, whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. You remember the Chaldeans, they were a group that was part of these wise men. So the king said, I need some well-educated young men from Israel, bring the best, the brightest, bring them in, and we're going to specialize their training so that they can be part of this group who are the Chaldeans, who are part of the wise men. So the wise men were a specially educated uh, group of men that were given governmental power um, and gave assistance to the king in his leadership here in the country of Babylon. We see in Daniel chapter 2 that after interpreting the king's dream, Daniel became the leader or, or the head of this group of wise men during his time in Babylon. Verse number 48 of chapter 2, there the Bible says... Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. So this was a, a group who had authority in the country and Daniel became the head of those. 
the wise men that we see in the book of Matthew, we can go back there to Matthew chapter 2. The wise men we see there were very likely wise men who were from Babylon. It could have been, but very likely, we don't know for sure, but very likely came from the area of Babylon. Most nations uh, had this type of a group of, of trained advisors to the king known as wise men. When Moses was dealing with Pharaoh to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, the magicians that Pharaoh called that were replicating the miracles that, that God was doing with the plagues, they are called in Exodus the wise men of Egypt. And so different countries had these groups, but very likely the wise men who came to um, see Jesus were part of, are from the country of Babylon. So that's the men, who they were. Educated, smart, talented, skillful, specialized, and uh, men of authority. They weren't just advisors of the king. They had authority over different aspects of their country. Uh, the king was in charge of all of it, but you'd have a wise man in charge of this area or this area, and that's going to come to play here in, in another part of the story that we're going to look at. So these wise men, people who had political authority um, and who had great wisdom. And then we have number two, that's the men. Number two is the multitude. One question that always comes up when studying the wise men is, how many were there? Um, so that's, that's our question. Uh, we often see three portrayed uh, in, in Christmas cantatas and in um, manger scenes. And you always set your, your wise men off to the side because they weren't at the manger. They were on their way. And so you set your manger scene up that way at your house. And um, so the wise men, we see three. And that the reason for three is because the three types of gifts that were brought. Um, but we know for sure that there weren't just three people who came because people wouldn't travel in that day, especially political leaders wouldn't travel by themselves. They would have had servants, they would have had slaves, they would have had soldiers, they would have had these, this entourage coming with them to provide for them on the journey to protect them from, from thieves or from uh, enemy, enemies of the state or government that would be um, after them. So there would have been a large entourage accompanying these men, but very likely there would have been more than just three wise men. Babylon had a lot more than three. Daniel and his friends were four of them, and they weren't even part of the group that were called in before the king. So there were a lot of wise men in Babylon. We're not told, though, how many people um, came with the wise men. Uh, so we don't know for sure. Uh, one other a uh, bit of information that shows us there were more than just three men who came was, uh, was Herod's response to them. When the wise men did not come back and Herod was wroth because he was mocked of the wise men, we saw Herod last week, what was his nature? He'd have gone out and killed them. But he didn't do that. Why didn't he send his army after them? Well, because there was probably this large entourage that included a lot of soldiers. He went to kill the babies in, in Bethlehem and left the wise men alone. So that, that, that's evidence that, um, that these wise men were not, uh, were not just the three men by themselves. But again, we're not told for sure. And then we have the month. Uh, the other question about the wise men is when did they come? Uh, so we saw the men, the multitude, and the month. We have three things that point to the timing of the wise men's arrival. And the first is the appearing of the star. We know that Herod inquired about the appearing of the star for the purpose of determining the age of the child. We see this in verse number 16. It says there, He slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So we asked him, when did the star appear? And so the appearing of the star had taken place sometime in the last two to three years, depending on how um, Herod's command uh, would be interpreted. If it was those who were under two, there would be a two-year time frame. If it included those that were two, it could go up to almost three years because the two, year, two years old is, a, is three years of time. So two to three years earlier, the star had appeared at, at least. Um, we see 
we see because Herod um, held the number a little bit higher, it was likely that the star had appeared at least more than a year prior to the wise men's arrival. But somewhere in that one to three year time frame, the star had appeared. So again, it's evidence this didn't take place at the, at the manger, um, but gives us a clue of when they came. We see secondly, the age of the Savior as another clue to when the wise men got there. We see a few things about his age. First of all, um, and primarily, the term young child is used instead of the term babe. In, the, in Luke chapter 2, the angels told him, You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And here we see they came to the place where the young child was. Very different words, and the words indicate it was a, a toddler-aged child, kind of a, a, a one- to five-year-old range uh, is the way that that word is used um, in, in the Greek for understanding the child's age. We also see that they were living in a house instead of a stable um, so that they had established a more permanent residence. Uh, and they hadn't been in Bethlehem the whole time. Anybody know where they went uh, before the wise men got there? Uh, that's after the wise men got there. They went to Egypt. They went to Jerusalem when he was eight days old uh, to be circumcised. So they had come from, uh, from Bethlehem. He was born. And then they made this travel to Jerusalem. And then they returned to Bethlehem. And they remained there. We're not told how long it took to do this census or this taxation. But we do know that Joseph uh, and Mary were not well off. And he couldn't just afford to take this, this long pilgrimage and uh, enjoy a long vacation. He would have had to bring some tools with him. And as a carpenter, he'd have had to find some work in Bethlehem. And as he gets some commissions, he starts working. He, he establishes uh, a home while they're there and, and continues to work. They, they get a house that they get to move into. So he would have started his business up so they could make uh, their ends meet. And he likely remained in Bethlehem doing work while the baby and his mother continued to grow uh, in their strength before the planned return to Nazareth where they, where they came from. But they were here. He was working. They had, they had money. Let's let the baby grow a little bit before we make this long trip back to where we came from. And then we have, uh, thirdly, the average of the sojourn, uh, how long it would have taken the wise men to get here. As we said already, the wise men were very likely from uh, Babylon, and this means that they would have traveled about 900 miles to get to Jerusalem. The travel with a, with a typical caravan of camels at the time would have been, on average, about 18 miles a day. Uh, so this trip from Babylon to uh, Jerusalem would have taken between 8 and 18 months of travel. Now, you don't just wake up um, in, in, in the first century and say, Hey, I'm going to take an 18-month trip. I'll be back. Um, we're leaving tomorrow. No, you, you can't do that. There's a lot of preparation. They had to make plans. They had to put other people in their positions. They had to uh, request for the king to make this trip. They had to gather provisions. They had to buy camels and, and supplies. They had to plan, plan their route. And maybe the time of year wasn't conducive to travel. There had been some time of preparation, and then there had been 8 to 18 months of actual travel before they arrived in, um, in Israel. So somewhere 8 to 18 months, possibly a little bit longer, but in that time frame of, of, of 1 to 3 years based on the appearance of the stars, that kind of gives us an idea of when the wise men got there. So those are some questions about the, about the men and who they were. Secondly, I want to look at why they came. Why did these men travel, get, leave their country, and make this arduous journey just to visit this baby? We see, first of all, and we've talked about this uh, especially two weeks ago, the idea of fulfilled prophecy. They came because of fulfilled prophecy. 
They knew, as a reminder, we looked at all these prophecies in that lesson, but as a reminder, they knew that a star would announce the arrival of a king in Israel based on Numbers chapter 24 and the prophecy given by Balaam. And this is something that they would have had access to when Babylon, again, conquered Israel. They would have taken the the sacred writings and brought them back, and that would have been one of the responsibilities of the Magi to study these writings. And they had these prophecies about his arrival in Numbers 24. They knew the timing of his arrival about when he would get here based on the prophecies in Daniel chapter 9. They, however, did not know the place of his arrival because they didn't have access to Micah chapter 5. Otherwise, they would have just traveled to Bethlehem. So they knew the, knew the when and they knew what to look for. They just didn't know where to go. But they also would have known a lot more Bible prophecy based on the other books that they would have had. And as they had studied the, the prophecies relating to this promised king in other parts of the Pentateuch and other prophets they would have had access to, they, we aren't told about it here, but these men had obviously studied the word of God and knew about this prophesied king that was coming. These men had a little bit of the Bible. We don't know how much. But they believed it enough to travel 1,800 miles over a period of one and a half to three years just to see it for themselves. Some portions of a book from another country's religion that promised a coming king, they believed it enough to go a 900 mile and 900 miles back. One and a half to three years of their life, leaving their families, leaving their kingdom, leaving their positions, and going to see it for themselves. What amazing faith these men had to believe the fulfilled prophecy. That's why they came, to see it for themselves. Secondly, we see that they came to worship the king. We see this in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 2 saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. That's what they came for. They came to worship Jesus. That was the motivation for their travel to Herod and to, uh, to, to Jerusalem. To, and that's what they told Herod. That's what they told Jerusalem that they were there for. It's amazing. This reveals their humility. As we mentioned already, they were royalty in their own right. They had authority. They were, worth, uh, they were used to telling other people uh, what to do. They had servants. They had slaves. They, they, they were prominent in their positions, yet they traveled this way to worship a young child. Shows their humility. It's also a recognition of this child's religious importance. You see, they came to worship him. Worship is something that you do in a religious sense. And they understood from the prophecy they had, this is someone who deserves worship. And they came to do that and recognize his religious importance. These wise men understood the prophecies and they acted on that belief. This is evidence of their salvation. Salvation prior to Christ's death and resurrection was a matter of belief, just like it's a matter of belief today. They believed in the prophecy, the promise of of the coming Messiah. And how did we know if somebody in the Old Testament um, believed? Based on their actions. James chapter 2 goes into that in detail, that their faith is evidenced by their works. Was not Rahab uh, justified by her works when she hid the spies? And we have the other examples given there that you see, if somebody believed it, they did something about it. And when we look at the wise men, they had the prophecy, they believed the prophecy, and they acted upon that belief. They were saved men because they believed God, and we know they believed God because they acted on that belief by traveling to see and to worship the Messiah. So they came because of the fulfilled prophecy. They came because they were here to worship the king. Another reason that they came was to be a reprimand to the unbelieving Jews. 
See, God could have revealed to the wise men where Jesus was living. He could have told them. He could have given them the prophecy of Micah, so they would have known. He could have told them directly, because he did talk to them directly. After they saw Jesus, he told them not to go see Herod, not to go back. He could have revealed that to them, but he didn't. He, he sent them to Herod and to Jerusalem to talk to the chief priests and the scribes, to talk to Herod, to be there to show the, the Jewish religious leaders, these men have the same word of God that you do, although you have more of it, and they believe it enough to act on it, and you're not doing anything about it. And, and God, God, God coordinated the arrival of the wise men. Another way God could have directed the wise men to Bethlehem was just let the star lead them there, which he did after they saw Herod and the chief priests. We have... Um, Again, with this idea of the star, this is another evidence of their faith because from the text it appears that the star had gone away after they saw it originally. And so the Bible says when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Like, oh, look, there it is again. It's kind of the idea we see. An amazing faith that they saw this star and then it likely went away and they traveled 900 miles anyway just knowing I'm heading to Jerusalem because that's where this king's supposed to be born. And they didn't have the visual reminder of, of that star. And, you know, 18 months into that trip, uh, 10 months into that trip, like... What are we doing this for? Are you sure we're going the right way? Did, you, did we really see that? I mean, as things got hard, as things got tough, but they still acted on faith. They went, uh, li- listen to this, this is neat. They, they, without the star to remind them of their faith, they left their home, they went anyway, and they left home not knowing exactly where they were going. I told you their faith puts them on par with some of the other greats of faith in the Bible. Uh, what are we told about of, of Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11? He, he, by faith, he believed God, and he, and he left his home not knowing where he was going. Uh, that's the same position these wise men were in. Well, we're not quite sure where we're headed. We're going to, to Jerusalem because God sent us his star, and we believe God. We're going to go act on that belief. Amazing, amazing faith that they had. So we see this example as far as the, the, these pagans being used to reprimand unbelieving Jews. God has done that several times in the past in the story of Abraham when he goes down into Egypt and, and he sojourns there and he lies about his wife. What happens? A pagan king reprimands him. says, you're not acting right. You're not doing right. And then his son Isaac does the same thing. He travels and he goes to, to there and, and he lies about his wife. And Abimelech says, hey, look, this isn't the way you should be acting. And God used these pagan kings to reprimand his people. And here we have these people from a pagan land coming to Jerusalem to say, hey, we're here to worship your king that's in your book. And the chief priest didn't do anything about it. So God used the, them in that way. Another reason that the wise men came was to be a witness to a pagan king. They were, they were, as we said already, they were regional authorities in their kingdom, just like Herod was in his. They had, they, in this instance, they gave Herod the same opportunity that they had to hear and accept the truth of the word of God. These men who were, who, were, who were vassal leaders of their districts in their, in their country came to um, Herod and said, Hey, you're a vassal leader for, for Rome. Let me tell you the news that we were told a year or two ago, and you can hear about this king, and Herod rejected it. But Herod had the opportunity. He had the opportunity because God sent him a witness, uh, sent him a missionary um, from out of country to come and tell Herod about the news that Christ had been born. So he, they came to witness to a pagan king, and they also came to give him gifts. This is what we really know the wise men for, is that they brought these gifts to, um, to Jesus. What was the motivation of these gifts? Well, one motivation, why would one king travel to another country to give a gift to another king? That's tribute. 
That's recognizing that, hey, you're the greater authority. I am underneath you. And that's where these kings traveled to pay tribute, not to Herod, not to Rome, but to Jesus, saying you're the king that we're underneath. You're the king that, that has authority over us. They came to give tribute and they came to give worship. These, these gifts were sacrifices in a religious sense that they came to worship the baby. So that's the motive of the gift, the message of the gift. We have the gifts of gold. Gold points out the fact that Jesus was a king, uh, has a, a relation to his royalty. We have frankincense. That's, a, that's a, um, a, a, a fragrance that is used in worship in the sacrificial system, and it points to Jesus in his office as a priest. You have myrrh. Myrrh is associated with, with, with death and with suffering, and it was a symbol of Christ as a prophet that would suffer for his people. Uh, we looked at this in our lessons on rightly dividing the word, that Christ fulfills the three offices of prophet, priest, and king, and we see these typified in the gifts given by the wise men. Whether they knew it or not, they were pointing out the prophetic uh, positions that Jesus would hold as prophet, priest, and king. So we saw the motive of the gifts was to give tribute, to give worship. The, me- the message is that Jesus is a prophet, a priest, and a king. And we have the meetness, meetness meaning the appropriateness of these gifts. Uh, what was going to happen as soon as these wise men left? They were going to get up in the middle of the night, this poor family, and flee out of country. Uh, how would they survive? Well, God was going to finance the trip by bringing them gold and frankincense and myrrh and provide for them for the years that they would be out of country until Herod died. Uh, They were able to live off of these gifts um, that had been given, so a very appropriate gift that they needed, um, and God was providing for them in that. Looking at these wise men, and I I mentioned already just how their, their faith compares to other folks in the Christmas story. I mentioned they likely had the most faith of all those who interacted with the birth and the early years of Christ. Because again, they, they operated on only a portion of the Bible. They had a portion of the Bible and they believed it enough to travel 900 miles and then 900 miles back and spend one and a half to, to three years of travel just based on this, this faith that they had. You compare that to Mary and Joseph. They got the news directly from an angel that they were able to see. The shepherds, a message from an angel and all of the angels came to tell the shepherds and they only had to come in from the field uh, to see the baby. You see uh, Simeon, it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he would see the baby. Anna came in while Simeon was prophesying and saying, this is the salvation of Israel. She heard his prophecy. She had been revealed to herself by the Holy Spirit, and she knew who he was. But these wise men, uh, they weren't there already. They weren't, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem anyway. Might as well check out this baby while there. They, They intentionally made this trip by faith in the Word of God. And amazing to see that. And then a contrast. Some people didn't react in faith to this news. We have those who heard the shepherds. The Bible tells us uh, that when the shepherds went away from seeing the baby, they, they, they noised abroad the things that were told them concerning this child. And the Bible says, all they that heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They said, they got news. Hey, listen, we saw angels and they told us that the son of David, the prophesied Messiah is a baby and he's right here in Bethlehem and he's right down the road in the manger and he's in the stable. And it, That's neat. And they went back to bed. They, 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 they had this news brought to them directly, and all they had to do was get up and go see it for themselves, and they couldn't be bothered. It was the middle of the night. They were resting. Uh, don't bother me. I, I can't get up at this time. And they had the news, and they had a message, but they didn't respond to it. The chief priests and the scribes, they had all of the Word of God, and they had all of the prophecies. They knew the prophecies. They understood the prophecies. They just didn't believe them. And they, on top of that, they got some foreign missionaries. These wise men came in. 
They didn't respond to that either. And we have Herod. Herod believed it all. He believed every word that he was being told. He just rejected it because he wanted to be his own authority. So a contrast of faith. These men responded based on faith in the word of God and, uh, and responded to that. What's the message these wise men brought? They're amazing people looking at the messengers, looking at how they responded and, and the stories surrounding them. But what was this message that they came to bring? This was the claim that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. That's the claim being made by the wise men. They're here to announce. They're here to tell us that this baby is the king of the Jews. But there's, there's, there's a lot more in that statement than, than just Jesus is king. We see, it, first of all, it's a message of Christ. Message of Christ. The word Christ is the anointed one, is the Messiah. Then when they're announcing, here is he born king of the Jews in fulfillment of prophecy, it's very clear who they're talking about. Because the, when Herod heard it, he asked the wise men, hey, this prophesied king, where is he supposed to be born? This is the Messiah who has arrived. Where is he at? And the chief said, he's, well, he's over in Bethlehem. If you want to go, go check it out for themself, yourself. But the wise men brought the news, this is the Messiah. This is salvation come to Israel. This is salvation come to earth. It's a message of salvation. They were foreign missionaries bringing the message that God's Son had come to earth to fulfill the prophecies that were given to the Jews of old. By claiming that He was born King of the Jews, they are pointing out that He was the Messiah. Jesus came to die. That was His purpose. That was what He was here. He came to do the will of Him that sent me. That was Jesus', that was Jesus purpose. From the manger to the cross. When in, the, in the little house where he was at this time, Jesus knew as a toddler walking around that he was here to die for man's sin, to be the promised Messiah that would suffer on behalf of us and for our sin. It was not an afterthought. It was not an accident. The Bible tells us he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. From the manger to the house, to Egypt, to Nazareth, to Galilee, to the cross, Jesus never lost sight of the purpose he was here, and that was to bring salvation. And that's the message that the wise men shared when they said, we are come to worship him that is born king of the Jews. They're saying there is the Messiah here in Israel, coming to offer salvation to man. So they brought the message of Christ. They also brought the message of the covenant. If you remember, and if you, if, you ha- if you weren't here or you don't remember, we taught a whole lesson on the covenants that were given between God and men, and most of those are in relation to Israel. And the covenants were in relation to Israel are a promise that God made to them concerning two things primarily, a seed and a kingdom. That's the covenants that God made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, these covenants that were made and reaffirmed between God and his people were promises. God says, I'm going to do this, a promise God made. I'm going to provide a seed and I'm going to provide a kingdom. And this was a a promise specifically between God and the Jewish people and the Jewish people missed it when the promises began to be fulfilled. Wise men from the East, they didn't miss it. It wasn't their promise. But they came anyway. They got to partake in the promise. And we talked about in that lesson of how we get to uh, enjoy the, the, an aspect of the covenants because of our relationship with the mediator of the covenant. And that's what the wise men got to join in on. But the Jewish people missed it. They missed the, 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 the fulfillment of the covenants that God made with them. Here in this baby that was born, where is he that is born? That's the fulfillment of the promised seed. 
that is king of the Jews. That's the fulfillment or the beginning of the fulfillment of the promised kingdom. Now we know Jesus hasn't established his kingdom yet. That will take place after the tribulation period when he comes back uh, to earth and sets up his thousand year reign here on earth. But the, the beginnings of it took place right here in Bethlehem. And the wise men told the Jews about it. You know them covenants, those promises that God made with you, they're being fulfilled right now. Yet they couldn't take time to accept the covenant or the message that was brought to them. So it was a message of Christ that salvation had come to earth. It was a message of the covenant that God was fulfilling his promises. And it's a message of coronation. Notice again, and I pointed this out last week, what they said about him. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Born king. Not born to be king. He is the king. We're announcing it right now. Here here and now, Jesus is king. Amazing. When he was a young child, he was visited by governors who announced to the Jews that he was their king. And at the end of his life, when he was about to be crucified, another governor said, Would you like me to crucify your king? Hey, when when we crucify him, put up a plaque. When on that plaque, here's what I want you to write. I want you to write, King of the Jews. King of the Jews. They had the message written clearly before them. It was given to them by two pagan kings. Here's your king when he's born. Here's your king when you're putting him to death. And they they couldn't accept it. But it didn't change the fact. Just because the Jews rejected it didn't change the fact that he is king. Jesus is the king. So what does this mean? That's kind of where we're going to jump into the next point. What's the message or the meaning of this message? The meaning is that Jesus is king. He's a king who has authority. He's a king with authority. He had a greater authority than the wise men. These wise men were kings in their own right. They had people who had to bow down before them. But when they came in the presence of Jesus, they're the ones that bowed the knee. He had greater authority than the wise men. He had greater authority than Herod. Herod wanted to have him executed. But when we look at the wise men, who, who they recognized as the authority, Herod said, come back when you're done. God said, don't. They said, okay, we're not listening to Herod. Uh, because this king has more authority than that king does. So he had more authority than Herod, and he has more greater authority than Satan, who's the god of this world. Satan could not stop what God was doing when he came to dwell among men. He's a king with authority. He's a king with a kingdom. He's the king of kings. All things are under his authority, and one day he will have a physical kingdom on this earth. And he is a king with subjects. He's the king of the Jews. It's told us right there. He is the king of the Jews. Whether they accept or not, he's their king. And uh, he's also a king to any of those who are willing to accept them. When the wise men left, they had a new king um, after meeting with Jesus. And anybody that meets with Jesus and accepts them, they also can have a new king. He's a king with subjects. He's a king whose kingdom is eternal. We think about prophetically, when will Jesus be king? Well, after the tribulation period, he's going to come to earth. He's going to set up his kingdom. But he's born king. He doesn't have to wait. You know, any other king uh, is, his, has to get to that place where they have to, have to grow up. And the, the other king has to get out of the way. And maybe they have to have conquest. And not Jesus. Jesus is born king. His kingdom's not limited to a place or a time. His kingdom's from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus never started being king. He never stopped. He'll never stop being king. Jesus is the king. And he is divine. This message of the, of the king, he is divine. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He was God in heaven. He was God coming out of the tomb. He was God on the cross. He was God doing miracles. He was God in the temple as a boy. He was God in the manger. He was God in the house being worshipped by wise men. He is God. 
He didn't realize later that he would one day be a king. He didn't realize later that one day he would die on the cross. He knew it from the moment he was, he was, he was conceived before that even. Slam slain before the foundation of the world. Something we can't even begin to comprehend. But just came to earth and had his eyes on the cross. That's the message of the painting that's on the back of this uh, bookmark here. There's a baby in a manger looking through the crossbars of the, of the stable here. And they're, they're forming a cross. This is a painting my dad had commissioned um, to be made of, of the eyes on the cross um, from, even from the manger. So he is divine. Another message that we have about Christ from the wise men here is that he is victorious. Again, most kings have to have a conquest before they can be named king. He, but he was born into an enemy kingdom, and he was king the moment he arrived. When we think of the story, Pastor preached on this a, little, uh, a couple weeks ago, but the story of Joshua. Um, Joshua, before he went into Jericho, he had an interaction with Christ, uh, a Christophany, before Christ came to earth. He, he saw him there. And when he saw Christ, he said, Now, who, who are you? What are you? What are you here for? Are you for us? Are you for our enemies? And Jesus answered and said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am come. And in one of my Bibles, I have written in the margin, and it says, He didn't come to take sides, He came to take over. Um, and that's, that's, that's King Jesus that we have. He's a victorious king. Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, we see Him named again as the king. He hath on His vesture and on His thigh written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When was he written down as king of kings? Well, before the battle even started. Why? Because he was victorious. He was victorious before the battle even began. And if you are a subject of this king, you're on the winning side. There's two types of victory that we have when we're, part, when we're in this king's kingdom. The first is victory over death through salvation. Because on all people, when they're born, they're born going to die. They're dying because of a curse of sin. But we can overcome death through the power of the cross, through the power of this king. And that's salvation. That's coming to the king and believing who he is and accepting him for who he is, repenting of your sin, and you become part of this king's kingdom. And, uh, and he can give you salvation. He can give you victory over death. And then once you're part of his kingdom, he has victory for you over sin as well. That sin that wants to get a hold of you, and, and as, as Psalms, um, I believe it's 107, describes, they are holden with the cords of their sin. Um, the Bible says that we can get victory. We can have victory through the power of Christ, through the power of the cross, because He is a king that's victorious. The wise men came and announced it, and it's just as true today as it was when, it, when they said it. We've come to worship the king.